This is Post-Mormon at the Movies, talking about TV. Today's episode covers season one of The Good Place. One of my, we were talking about Janet and Jason, like deciding that they're soulmates and they Mm -hmm. want to get married. One of my favorites is when Michael, like they get married and Michael's talking to them and where Michael's asking, like you two are married and Jason's saying like, yeah, we love each other. And the way he describes love, his like love for Janet is she makes the bass drop in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is the most jason line yeah. oh my gosh no. but just his delivery of like being so emotional about it yeah, yeah. he thinks that michael is his father-in-law you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah jason he always pronounced it ethnically instead of ethically let's, let's study ethnics <laughs> ethnics yeah ethnic dilemmas Welcome. Everything is fine. You're on Post-Mormon at the Movies. This is Dan. This is Nick. And we're your co-hosts, and we're joined by our favorite... Recurring visitors. Yeah. Past members. Guests here on our show. Yes. Jenny and Kyle. Jenny and Kyle, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you don't have... Uh, Yeah, at this point, everyone knows your name, so... (laughs) (laughs) Today's going to be different, guys. We are going to be talking about... A TV show, and we're going to be talking about The Good Place. And I'm really excited about this. It's going to be di- the only other show we've covered, which we covered with y'all, was mm-hmm. Under the Banner of Heaven. And we did that week by week as it was coming out. But this show's been out for a while. Yeah. And so today we're just going to cover the first season. Yeah. So we'll do an episode per season. There's a time to pick apart here, but I think we felt like an episode per season would be enough to hit the highlights and. So I think just generally, like before we really start talking about the show, like why is this show, out of all the TV shows we could pick, mm-hmm. why do we feel like, why is this one worth looking at, you know, to dedicate sort of an episode per season? It was kind of a big deal when it came out. Yeah, I was just looking up when it came out. Like I remember it being groundbreaking television in my mind. And I, at that point, was pretty much out of organized religion. And I thought it was so amazing. Um, in the past couple of years, I haven't thought about it as much, just like since it wrapped up, but was really excited when you guys thought about in the group chat, when we started talking about good, the good place as a concept, especially because I think in some of the past episodes we've talked about with you guys, we've talked about the book that's written by one of the writers of the show, right? Mm-hmm. What's it called? How to be perfect. Yeah. How to be perfect by Mike Sure, He yeah. created the show. Yes. Uh, and so I think it's got really interesting themes to talk about. So I was excited which is why we're crashing your podcast again to join in. And I feel like it was even really popular among like just the general populace of the country, you know, like religious or not, it was just a really Mm -hmm. new, fresh, interesting concept. Really funny. Some of our favorite comedic TV people, you know, right. Yeah. Great cast, great writing, very snappy. Yeah. And so Mike sure got his start as a writer on SNL. He worked on The Office as a writer. He's Moe's 
He uh Dwight's Oh he is cousin. Oh of right. course. Yeah. Nick always coming in with the great behind the scenes details. <laughs> That's probably like his most famous, you know, yeah. role or claim. That's how you famous. know what he looks like. And I think, yeah, it was just like they picked him because they needed someone to be in the background of a <laughs> shot, you know, and he got chosen and then got to come back and do it a bunch. But and then he went from the office and co-created. So the office was created by Greg Daniels, the American, or at least he adapted the American version. And then Mike Schur co-created with Greg Daniels Parks and Rec. And so Mike Schur ran Parks and Rec pretty much the whole time. Okay. And then and when that was done, this was like his, if I could do anything, this was the idea that had been like percolating for a while, I think, of like how to talk about all these concepts that The Good Place touches on. And so I think what, something that's really interesting about the show is that Mike Schur actually talked with Damon Lindelof a bunch. Damon Lindelof nice. co-created Lost, The Leftovers. Wow. And and so he went to him like, I know how to, and I think with the idea of like, I, I know how to write a sitcom, but like, this is going to be a very lore heavy sitcom. Yeah. It's going to be more like a TV show like Lost or something. And so he picked his brain on like, how do you, how do you dole out revelations within like the mythos of a show? Uh-huh. Like, how do you hide secrets? How do you reveal those mystery box sort of things? And and you can kind of see that, too, in the structure with, like, the character-centric flashbacks, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Now that, I mean, I did not really think that The Good Place and Lost had a lot in common. But now that I think about it, really some parallels there. I mean, if, if you were going to have a Mount Rushmore of, like, the most impactful shows for me personally, Lost is the George Washington on Ooh. Mount Rushmore for sure. But The Good Place is probably on that Mount Rushmore and Leftovers, which is on HBO. Like those three shows all deal with a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. And so The Good Place is just the comedic version of a lot of the like (laughs) philosophical. Well, and they're like compact little episodes, right? Like they're very punchy. They're laugh out loud funny. Like I remember when it came out, just telling Kyle, like the layers of comedy here, like it's each joke I felt like, and even preparing for this, I was trying to like think of some unsuccessfully, but like, I felt like each joke was funny from multiple angles. It was like, not just surface level writing. Like it was funny mm-hmm. as you thought about it. Um, which now that you say he has background, like from SNL, like it makes so much sense because it wasn't just like the comedy aspect of it. The idea of in today's world, what is good and what is bad was so relevant and like pop culture the pop culture mm-hmm. references were amazing. Even just at the start of the show, when you find out like, like the most unimpressive thing about her is like, he's from Phoenix and like Jason from Florida and just little things where I, I'm not sure how those elements will age like two decades from now, but the overall themes, just seeing it presented in a way in these punchy, funny episodes, it felt so groundbreaking and new at the time. Well, I'm pretty sure in 10 years, Jacksonville is still going to be easily one of the top <laughs> 10 swamp cities in northeastern Florida. It might be underwater, actually. <laughs> That's true. Which I loved. I, I was a missionary. I served my mission in the Jacksonville, Florida mission. Okay. Oh, and so all the Jacksonville jokes are so funny to me. Yeah, totally agree that like not this, some shows are really good at like just the pop culture stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they can be really relevant in the time and then they're not going to hold up next week even you know because stuff has moved on this show is really good because a lot of it is set out of time 
mm-hmm. but yes. they were from a very specific time. And so it makes sense. Like these references are going to hold up because like they were from a specific time on earth mm-hmm. before the afterlife. And so I think it's, it's going to hold up They're They're really funny. But then he, beyond that, it's like got so much good character humor and plot humor, like of just the developments that happen I mean, it's firing on all cylinders. And the, is... and the chemistry of the cast, the chemistry of the mm-hmm. cast, yeah. I think what they, they nailed it. It, yeah. it really was quite a magical combo. Um, mm-hmm. Before we move any further, I think it might be good to put in a spoiler warning here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a huge spoiler at the end of this season and we're going to talk about it today. So, I mean, this show came out what like 2016 six, i just looked it up ago. kind of yeah. a while ago 2016 yeah. so it's, it's been a while i mean you probably know it but just in case go watch season one yeah go go watch it first do not even if you don't think you want to watch it you need to watch it and hear that spoiler before listening to this it's so worth it and the whole the whole show is only 50 episodes i mean it's about 20 minutes long yeah i mean so it's about 20 hours of the whole show you can finish it this week yeah <laughs> which is which is equivalent to about one season of a network show yeah. like when lost was coming out and was doing like 22 episodes it's yeah. you know so the whole show is pretty easy to binge if you haven't seen it before um that being said nick do you want to give us kind of a rundown of the overall plot yeah so here's your spoiler warning like from yeah, beyond la- this last point. chance to drop off exactly <laughs> Yeah, so just to recap for anyone who has maybe watched it in the past but hasn't rewatched it as recently as maybe we have. The Good Place is a show. Eleanor Shellstrop's the main character, played by Kristen Bell. She wakes up in the afterlife and is told by Michael, Ted da- played by Ted Danson, he's the architect of this neighborhood that has been built for all these people in the afterlife. It's the good place. You got here, you were a good person. And this good place neighborhood has been built specifically for all the people here. Like they get to meet their soulmate. They have a house specifically designed for them. And it's this little community neighborhood that they get to live in. I think they said about 50 people. Yeah. More and or less. So the only problem is that Eleanor is not the right Eleanor. When sort of the, the first episode's big hook is that she's not the Eleanor that was supposed to be there. She's another Eleanor and she is definitely not. Had lived the life that they show her. Not a good person. Not a good she's, person. She's, turns out to be not a good person. And her soulmate that she's been given is Chidi. And he is a, what, a philosophy professor? Ethics professor. Ethics professor. And so obviously he's immediately put into this quandary of this person has made it to the good place. She's not a good person. And so he comes up with the idea, I will teach you how to be a good person. And that's how he can reconcile being a, like living the lie of her being in the good place. And so most of the the first half or so of the season is him trying to teach her different philosophical or ethical uh, problems and how to overcome them and like how to be a good person, basically. And in there, she ends up finding out that their neighbors, Tahani, who was a British socialite who raised tons of money for charity and did it in a very braggy sort of way. Her soulmate is... Dang, what was his monk name? John Yu. John Yu. John Yu. <laughs> a Buddhist monk. Yeah, he's a Buddhist monk. Yeah, who had taken a vow of silence. And it turns out he's really Jason Mendoza from Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, An aspiring DJ. Yeah, he's a professional amateur DJ <laughs> and a 
low-level drug dealer on the side. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah. And so she he's also trying to hide within the good place. Um, not a good person. And and so sort of the the middle of the season, Eleanor decides the the right thing to do is to confess and to get up. And she tells everyone the reason why like all these things have not been going right in the neighborhood is because she's not supposed to be there. And so then representatives from the bad place come and they've got to figure out, you know, we have the wrong Eleanor, you have our Eleanor. And of course, Eleanor doesn't want to go. And so to really sum up the second half of the season, they're presented with sort of the option of two of the people that got put in the good place aren't supposed to be here. We need two people in the bad place. Who's it going to be? Like you've got to pick out of the these four of you that have sort of banded together. Two of you've got to come with me. And then Eleanor ends up figuring out all, everything that's been going on has been to like pit us together and we are torturing each other. This is really the bad place. Dun, dun, dun. And then Michael, played by Ted Danson, has the best twist of a character, I think, ever, where he goes from being such a nice, sweet person to uh-huh. this de- demonic laugh of like, shoot, you've figured it out. And and so now they're going to, he's going to wipe everyone's memories. They're going to start it again. And and Eleanor, in the end of this season, has like a, her last sort of ditch attempt to try and fix everything as she leaves a little clue that can get to her in the next season of like what she needs to do is to find Chidi because she really did get better as a person over the course of the season. And if she's starting over again, she just needs him to help her become a good person. How'd I do? Is that an okay summary? Yeah. yeah. Love it. No, it, it definitely, the the other thing I'd add is throughout the season, you see that the characters' specific neuroses get on each other's nerves. Yeah. Like everything about them is designed to make the other people insane, which is how Eleanor makes the connection. She's yeah. like, wait, I realize this is torture. This whole thing is torture. And she puts it together. So I think each episode is very comedic and it's, uh, attempt, you know, and how they show how little human behaviors can truly drive other humans yeah. crazy. It's very insightful. Yeah. And like this, this was such a fun twist, like through your first viewing, like mm-hmm. realizing oh, yeah. getting to the end, like that was huge. And so for our listeners that maybe haven't seen it a second time, I, I rewatched the first season in preparation for this. And I just want to say it is so rewarding on a rewatch because you can tell exactly what the bad place employees are doing and how they're like yes torturing and it's like how did i not get that sooner because it's like yeah perfectly tailored it's so obvious i felt so silly on the rewatch because i was like this is so obvious but my jaw when i first watched it i was 100 percent in jaw on the floor no way i can't believe they pulled that off i had no clue but then when you rewatch it it's very clear but i also think you're just like the newness of the idea of a good place and the like the whole presentation of it, you're still just wrapped up in like, I don't know how this world works or how, <laughs> mm-hmm. how this new heaven is set up, you know? So they, they do a really good job of no, no, no. Look over here. Oh yeah. Don't look yes. at that right now. Like we're going to focus on this instead. And on yeah. the rewatch, you pick up on all the little things that were like, Oh, they were setting it up. Like it was mm-hmm. there. And, yeah. Well, and like the torture, the specific like dilemmas, presented mm-hmm. to each of them you're like oh there's no way this is heaven like this is <laughs> yeah this is awful well, and, I, and i think just the idea of someone made it to the good place who shouldn't be there is an interesting idea that I, yeah that's that that's was what i latched onto. i was like oh this is gonna be good like she's actually 
a terrible person and, and she's kind of like infiltrated, like what's going to happen? So it was, I wasn't even suspecting yeah. that it could be anything else. And I was thinking that that might be a fun direction, like if this show had gone another and like kept that and there wasn't a twist, you know, and it was actually the good place. That might have been an interesting show, too. Mm. Um, oh, I still I still like yeah. it. I mean, even without the twist, I still thought it yeah. was brilliant TV. But the the final episode, I was like, whoa, these guys are playing 5D chess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and just the setup, I think, is just to really quick. I think the setup of her being a bad person that made it to the good place by accident. Sets us up for what we expect from a TV show. Oh, she's going to learn and grow and become a better person. And, and that's all it is, is, you know, she's going to become someone who deserves to be in the good place. And this season set that gave us that expectation, but kept like pulling the rug out from under us. And I think this show is one of the best shows at re- constantly resetting its status quo into something more interesting mm-hmm. and never stagnates. Like it, like yeah. you said, it could have gone on as a show that was just the setup of this first season forever. And they could have gotten a lot of mileage out of it. And they, they just like squeezed it for everything they could. And then we're like, now we're going to reset it. Each season is so different. It has a, such a different flavor. Yeah. I mean, even within this season, like she gets up and confesses, I'm not supposed to be here. And that's like, a, Oh wait, that was, but that's like a season finale moment, but we're halfway through the season. Now what's going to happen. Yeah. And I just love mm-hmm. that this show can pull that off. So Quick question, Nick, before we move further, just for yeah. context. When this first came out, were you still a believing member of the church or were you? Yeah. Let's see. When did it, when did the show end? 2020. Yeah. So during the course of the show, I left the church then. Would you say it's because of this show? <laughs> just kidding. No. I blame Mike Schur for us, my wife and I being in a mixed faith marriage is because of him. So Yeah. <laughs> No. um, So, yeah, I mean, I started watching the show as a like fully believing member. And but I think with, you know, questions and I think this show, one of the things that I love about this first season is like questions and like poking at like, why is it the way that it is? And this is probably one of the first depictions of the afterlife of a good plate, like at least when we're presented at first, this is heaven, more or less, where people are asking questions while living there of like, is this, why is it this way? Like, why is mm-hmm. this the good place? And is it the good place? I mean. And what qualifies me to be here? What qualifies someone right. else to be here? Like what, when you take religion away from it. And I like that in the first season, they're kind of like, oh, all these religions got about 5% right, you know. Yeah. And there's the one guy who was <laughs> who got was high. really high. <laughs> and he got like 99% of it. <laughs> yes, I love that. But like, this idea of like, okay, well, what does it like with a complete non-religious lens, what does this look like? And to mm-hmm. me, that felt so novel to be, to dive into the questions that typically, I, you know, especially in my upbringing, I felt were monopolized by religious leaders and say, right. you know what, we're going to strip away scriptures, your, you know, whatever your version of morality is and say, what makes you a good person really? And I just, I think their examples are always hilarious. Like Eleanor, as you find out, she's a trash human. It's like, she abandons a dog. Like, yeah, that makes you a pretty awful person. <laughs> or like, mm. you know, not being a designated driver. Just like little things where it's like, it's not that you had sex before marriage. It's not that you didn't say your prayers every night. It's just really funny things that you're like, yeah, you're kind of garbage. And <laughs> just defining that and putting it in a show 
and making it all about that, I just thought it was really refreshing. So really early in this first season, in the first episode, they all have like an orientation basically to the good place mm-hmm. where Michael has a video that pops up where he explains like you made it to the good place. And while you were on earth living your life, everything you did good or bad had points associated with them. And so for some doing something good, you got positive points. If you did something bad, you got negative points. And in that video, they have like, you know, dozens of examples floating yes. by him with like, I remember positive or neutral. To, yeah. yeah. So I, I posit, took a picture of it. Um, here's some like, here's some positive things good that were mm-hmm. good place behavior, ending slavery, remembering your sister's birthday, uh, stepping carefully over flower beds, uh, fix, fixing a broken tricycle for a child who loves tric- tricycles, <laughs> <laughs> you know, purify water source for a whole village population greater than 250 uh remaining loyal to the cleveland browns scratching <laughs> scratching elbow is plus 3.29 points how many points was curing or um abolishing slavery it's uh yeah like 814,323.05 yeah just points. for context right right and then there's other things that are like you know harassment sexual in parentheses is minus points and Failed to disclose camel illness when selling camel is negative, <laughs> like 22 points. <laughs> Telling a woman to smile, minus, oh. you know, 50 something points. Um, yes. Ruining opera with boorish behavior, minus 90.57 points. Committing genocide is negative 433,993,000 points. And so, and this yes. I think is a good example of the entire show has so many small jokes in the background of even the good place like the names of the different Mm -hmm. stores and like the yogurt shop and you know there's tons of things on rewatch that make this like endlessly enjoyable to catch all that but i want to really talk about like this idea of you made it to the good place and all everything you did was points and if you made it above a certain number you got to the good place how does i mean talking about i guess the mormon side of things like Mm -hmm. I feel like that idea of kind of faith versus works and how that played into sort of Mormon culture, like watching this all happen in that first episode, I was like, even as a believing member, it's like, oh, that's the church. Like that's how the church yes. teaches yes. obedience and like blessings that are associated with it. And that it's like a summation that you can add more to what you're doing. You could always be doing more. You can always, like, mm-hmm. and I guess in a way, the idea, like there's a level that's enough, but you kind of feel, you know, you never quite feel that it's enough. And so you're constantly adding points to your score. Mm-hmm. And I remember this was a big thing. I think when some of my biggest questions is probably around 2012 timeframe. And I was talking to a colleague at work. He's kind of like an older mentor. That was really nice. And and he kind of, we weren't talking about sin, but we were talking about just like life. And, and he kind of explained that like, whenever someone does something bad, like it's all bad. Like there's no ranking, like to him, sins were, you know, we're all doing our best and we do something bad. Like it's not, you don't need to rank it against other people. You don't need to rank it against murder. And for me coming from Mormonism, where it was like most worst sin was more, uh, was murder next was sex before marriage, which is a really weird ranking, but for him to explain that things are not ranked, I felt like that was a groundbreaking principle that like, you don't 
put points next to everything in your life. There's not bad points and good points. And I had been spending years deconstructing that. And so it was so interesting in the good place to see them say, like literally put on a screen, here's how good this is. And here's how bad this is. That felt very Mormon to me as someone that had been trying to move past the idea of ranking all your own behaviors as good or bad and how good and how bad. So yeah, I'm totally with you. It felt very Mormon. Um, before we move on, is Michael's system, or is that system Michael's system for his bad place, or is that the system? We learn in later episodes, there really are points. And, and I don't want to get into it too much, but in the later seasons, okay, you do learn that there is really a point system. I don't know if the points that they got that they, you know, show in the season, if that's their real points, but, you know, regardless, they're in the bad place. Yeah, more. Yeah, we, we learn more about sort of the system. And but I think within this first season, the way it's presented, even even if by the end we realized, wait, there's been a lot of trickery going yes. on here. Yeah is still presented in a way that like in the moment makes sense for all the characters. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and is sort of becomes the system, at least for the neighborhood, this first season. To kind of go off that, you know, there is like, from my experience in Mormonism, like teachings of like, Oh, you know, this blessing is predicated on this following, you know, Mm -hmm. disobedience. And, and a lot of times there's kind of like a one-to-one correlation there, but I feel like, and I want to hear from Kyle too, his opinion on kind of this topic, but I just in, you know, on the other hand, there's a lot of times in, and (laughs) it feels like pretty, um, pretty Protestant, you know, you, every now and then you'll get this Sunday school lesson or a conference talk where it's more of the focus on, you know, mercy and, you know, and and I always kind of like that because it was different than the the main messaging that I heard. And so, like on the other hand, there there are times in the Mormon Church where it's it's faith and works. And so I, I don't think that that's it, it is pretty prevalent. But I don't know if that's like the whole story within Mormonism. If if you like sat down with like a a Mormon scholar, that they would like hundred percent they would see it as hundred percent as a point system. Yeah. yeah, but in practice, but like it feels like that a lot of the time. What, what do you think, Kyle? Well, things on a mission. I just think every time a, you know, and I'm, I'm representing the believers over here. So, um, and I'm not a scholar by any means, but I, like, when you look at the point system, when it comes to bad, you know, Jenny outlined that, but when it comes to the good, it's like anytime a new member, a new general authority is called, what do they list? They list out like the major calling that they've had, how many children that they have. And it's like, these things are worth lots of points right mm. if you were a mission mm-hmm. president lots mm. of points if you're a state president lots of points because those those callings represent you know sacrifice time and just a lot of like dedication to the, the faith and the calling and everything and so yeah that i mean that's great we'll highlight or even like your business you know are you a successful mormon great lots of points for the mormons who bring in lots of tithing i guess would be the cynical angle on that but i don't know we just had a bishop changeover and it's like let's hear from the outgoing bishop break let's hear from the incoming it's like these callings really do score you lots of points it's kind of the impression whereas like who's who's the new primary teacher great like we don't need to hear you speak or your spouse speak (laughs) lower point calling so i don't know i i can see the point system but it's also like when that happens they don't highlight you know, someone fighting climate change or some, you know, like it's always within 
the framework of church points and not, mm. I don't know, absolute good. Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point as well. Well, and I think we could probably all think of someone that we've known at, at, in church that's like, why aren't they the bishop? Mm-hmm. Like they would be the perfect yeah. bishop. But there's something about, you know, who they are and their circumstances in life that don't make them rise to the top when that question gets asked, you know, of who who should be the next bishop. And and so I think that like maybe they're a woman. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> That could that could be one reason, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that like the idea there, I guess, is that the good place point system seems to be, or at least is presented because it's a TV show. Like we're going to focus on these outward actions and not necessarily on the inside when we're talking about points. Like a lot of those examples we just read are like things they did, and yeah. I think that's what the church gets focused on a lot is it's really hard to identify who are you underneath as a person. And so we're going to look at like, what can you do and what have you done? And, and then we're going to go off that. And did you, so of the four main characters, so we have Eleanor, Chidi, Tahani and Jason, like I'm going to throw out that the most, the most Mormon of those is Tahani. Oh yeah. Because of all the outward stuff, the mm-hmm. name dropping, you know, like <laughs> Steve Young was in my work, you know, like <laughs> the constant name dropping, which is hilarious. The way that she just casually like mm-hmm. mentions Justin Bieber and stuff. But, you know, she just kind of strikes me as the most focused on the outward, not always for the right reasons mm-hmm. and all about who, you know, you know, kind of like a, well, a, more and, a little bit. and her realization at the end, you know, that like it's very clear to the whole group that Eleanor and Jason are not good people, but as Mahani um, realizes at the end, like, oh, everything I did was either to try and beat out my sister or just for the praise of it. Like nothing about it was true intent. Um, I think that's definitely been something as I've left organized religion that I've realized this whole thing of like, do service because you get blessings and do missionary work. So you'll get a hot wife. Like all the, the way we present good works in the church is often about the reward. So you can get blessed, not because it's the right thing to do. Right. Or that, you know, share your good fortune with those less fortunate. Like it's just interesting messaging mm-hmm. that I feel like again, I agree that Nahani's character is the most performative, which we see a lot in organized religion, particularly Mormonism. I do relate to Chidi a lot too. Like because Chidi oh, is this paralysis. And yeah, his inability to make a decision. Guilt. The inner guilt of Mormonism. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That I think there were lots of times when I think Chidi is at least approaching these ethical problems from the point of view of what's the right thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously in the church, we get drilled into us as, you know, from little kids about choosing the right. And I think as a kid, what's right is usually pretty easy to figure out. But when that's drilled into you and then you become a young adult or, you know, grow as you grow up, what's right can be really hard to, to pick. And and I think there is an example, like the church, I think, tries to give you a blueprint of we know what's right. And so we're going to keep teaching you what's right, but you're given the spirit to figure out the rest. And I just remember, especially when I was younger, feeling like Chidi, where it's like, well, I don't know if I felt the spirit. Like I'm trying to figure yeah. out what's right. And it's like, I just don't know what to do. And and Chidi goes to the point where he's like, has, you know, stomach cramps and can't yeah. do anything. <laughs> My stomach hurts that cracks me up. <laughs> but yeah, I relate to that 
I want to talk about Chidi for a minute because that was re- something really interesting on this rewatch. So he's like defending the system in a lot of yes. the show. Yes, yeah. But like he's seeing that the system has made mistakes. And so he's like an ethics professor who like knows all this stuff. And like he he now realizes, oh, this is the system that we've been living in. And he's trying to like wrap his brain around it and make this system like work and come, you know, make his brain conform to mm-hmm. like, this, this must be the right system. Yeah. You know? He's sort of an apologist for, for the system. That's a great word. For yeah, it. Even though it has made a lot of mistakes. Well, and it's, it's not been fair to him. You know, he ends right. up with Eleanor, like instead of him being like, no, this is wrong. Like I got screwed, you know, like he, he's like, I got to figure out how I fit into this. And it's funny you bring that up because I totally noticed that he was a very early defend, almost a defender of, well, this is how it works. This is the system. Mm-hmm. And instantly, you know, for as much as being like a professor and studying all these things, there's instant buy-in from him, even though it has not worked out in his favor. Yeah. Um, and if I had been him, I think I would have felt like left down, you know, having studied so many, you know, moral and ethic systems it's like this is the one that we have and it's like it's problematic you know (laughs) and like especially like in the very first episode they're like let's throw a party to like celebrate how good we were on earth yeah and it's just this that just feels kind of weird that's like would real good place people do that be so (laughs) self-celebratory about that Mm -hmm. kind of thing no, I think while we're talking about him, I think he is the most amazing character. He transforms multiple times throughout the seasons. And I just think his situation, you know, I always love the flashbacks where you learn about how were they on earth, like, and the the boot situation, how yeah. he, you know, he's like so conflicted and it ruins relationships. And I just think the existence of his character, as well as his ethics and philosophy uh, lessons, it was something I'd never seen before and like I genuinely was learning from his character and I thought it was a great you know if you are going to do a show about the good place like what better way to bring in these very intense ideas with a teacher and literally the worst student in the world Mm -hmm. I just think it's so clever and Chidi is such a great actor He's, he's so great he's so great in this that's why everybody hates ethics professors, right? That's what they kept telling him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I mean, flashbacks. He's like he's a Debbie Downer kind of. Yeah. Yes. Ruining it. But like in real life for like real like moral yeah. questions. Totally. So let, maybe let's talk a little bit about those scenes where they tried to focus on more of the philosophy, like the different philosophies and kind of like the lessons. Cause like Chidi will have his lesson. And then, you know, in that episode, there might be an example of mm-hmm. an application of that. How did that land for you? How did we feel about that aspect of the show? I definitely noticed it more this watch through because the first time through, I'm just kind of like consuming, but I think Eleanor le- learns a little bit, but what I see is like, as Chidi debates with himself, what's good and what's not. And he'll take a lens of a certain philosophy and say like, well, here's the principle. Like I should help you that will help everyone or am I bad if I help you because you're a bad person and what I like is that he'll find an answer for the moment maybe but he never finds an absolute answer I feel like and to me that felt as someone again as the show is coming out was definitely in the more nuanced camp I'm not into absolutes I'm not you know even the existence of a good place and a bad place I loved that he would explore a concept and a way to look at things, but then immediately in the next episode or in that episode itself would present a different philosophy idea as a way to evaluate the problem. 
And so for me, because they weren't absolute answers as much as they were, here's a way to look at it. I liked that. Would I want to be friends with someone like cheating in real life? Probably not. <laughs> Sounds totally exhausting. Yeah. Well, and you know, maybe that's why philosophy has been around for thousands and thousands of years because like we <laughs> haven't been able to figure it out you know and yes. that's that's that was one of my favorite things at one of my classes in BYU I took a psychology class from a professor that I really like and there were there's multiple angles and like orientations within psychology of how to view things that are not absolute and it's like well if you look at it from this lens you know xyz if you look at it from this other lens it's a whole different thing and he would he would like play devil's advocate and like you know argue from these different perspectives none of which are absolute and so mm-hmm. um i thought that that was really cool i although i, th- I right. feel like there's like a very heavy overemphasis of kant in this show like i feel like they could have done more about exploring yeah and when but- i think part of it is isn't that where Eleanor sort of lands? Like she, it seems like she gravitates towards. Maybe that's her his, moral philosophy. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what it, like the show presented is that, like you're saying, both of you, that there's not an absolute, but it's more figuring out how do you interpret the world and like, and what feels right for you as an individual. And because there is no right or wrong per se, but it's more, how do we define our morality? And then it's more about being consistent to it than like figuring. And I think within the church growing up, it was like the thinking has been done. And so yes. now this is like, the you, line. it's about you mm-hmm. con- conforming to the covenant path. And do the outward actions that look like you're following that path. Like I, right. I feel like while you may get some lip service in general conference or a talk, but like, I feel like we don't really talk about the status of the heart very much in Mormonism as much as going through the actions and reading your scriptures, saying your prayers. I didn't feel like as a youth or, you know, going to BYU, there was ever a real encouragement to be like, who are you? Are you a good person? Who, what's your approach to life? It was like, no, as long as you meet this standard that we will literally interview you about, you're good enough. And I felt like that was limiting. I felt a lot of freedom once I stepped away from that piece and kind of looked more at the, okay, well, what does being a good person mean for me with what the world I'm living in? And Well, and I think there's something comforting to that. The point system that Michael presents as being the system behind the scenes during your life on earth is comforting in that, oh, I like, I can now focus on the things that are going to earn me more points and not worry about these other things. And I think sometimes in the church, it felt good to know that all I've got to do is the primary answers and, you know, reading your scriptures, saying your prayers. And, and that will cover so much of like being a good person in the church that Mm -hmm. like, I know I'm hitting the right list, you know, and people always talked about, you know, like tithing is something you can be 100% perfect at if you just pay your tithing. And it's, I think there is something, something comforting to like knowing I hit it. Like I got the points for, for doing that. Well, going back to Chi real quick, because I, I think what I, the, the lessons, you know, you're asking about the, the ethics lessons. And I noticed this in the book, How to Be Perfect as well. It takes all of the the principles, the philosophy, the ethics, and he's just kind of going through them at a high level. Uh, it's like an intro, you know, 101 and just throwing in tons of jokes, footnotes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of like watching the show, um, the, the 
feel the tone, you know. Um, but like, for example, okay, so the trolley problem that I, as a Mormon trying to be in good standing, doing everything right, I had no idea what to do with the trolley problem. Like it presented, the show is presenting things, these, these moral dilemmas, these gray areas. And I was like, wait, my whole life I've been taught that things are black and white, you know, in order to be good, you just do this, 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 and you avoid that, that, that. But what, but what about this, you know, dilemma? And it's not like we're presented with a trolley problem in our day to day, but the moral exercises, you could call them. I did not have, I didn't feel like I had like the tools. And so I felt like the whole show was equipping me with things that I don't know. I mean, we don't, it's not like we talk about them in elders form. It'd be, be fun if we, did more than just conference scriptures, you know, like we kind of got into <laughs> mm-hmm. a little bit more of this and it kind of makes you wonder like, okay, I'm going on a crazy tangent here. So Do just that. pull me back. But like, sometimes I think, okay, so was Jesus just studying the Bible and, you know, he was taught from his father, right? He was doing his father's business, but what if he was studying philosophers and thinkers that came before him? Like, where did he get all of his teachings? Did it really? Yeah, it's never presented even as a possibility that he. Do you guys have any thoughts or like insight into that? I mean, he had to be doing something after he was 12. (laughs) I guess that's pretty. Okay. Never mind. This is out there. No, like, I like that. I like that idea. Um, But like, does Plato predate Jesus? Help me out. Yeah. Yeah. There, like by the time Jesus came around, there was already thousands of years of philosophy. Right. right? Yeah, okay. And people had been thinking about and doing all this stuff. But I like Kyle, when you say that, like, I feel like, you know, in a world where I could have stayed in the Mormon church, like I would have loved where people said, you know what? It's highly possible that Jesus would have understood philosophies at that time. Let's use that as an excuse to talk about philosophy at church. You know, yeah. like, yeah, like you can make it fit within a Mormon framework if you want to, but we don't choose to, we don't talk about a conference. We don't talk about, you know, like I would love the gospel in quotes to just be more expansive so that you don't feel like shutting down when presented with a trolley problem or a version of it. Yeah. There's moral dilemmas been presented and now, well, let's look up what prophets have said. And that's the end of our research. Right. I I guess maybe I have some baggage about this, but just we shut people down so much. Before we get too far into it, for our listeners, the trolley problem was not actually discussed in this season. It's in next season. Oh, Um, but it is. That's okay. It's a very common moral, um, like philosophical thought experiment. And so if you just go online and look up trolley problem, you'll be able to look it up. It's very, I mean, most people I think might know it already, but. Sorry, I was just using that as an example. Okay. As no, like... it's, it's a good example. It's a great example. Yeah. But I just want to say that like my favorite elders quorum lessons or like Sunday school lessons were when we like got off the book and it was like a very cooperative group discussion where it's like, you know, we're not focusing on the correlated things, but like we're like having real meaningful discussions about right and wrong and, you know, what, you what is life or... about, you know? And mm-hmm. th- I, I feel like, th- so I, I think, there can exist a really good place for that within the Mormon church of doing that. But I just feel like it's very, very correlated to the point where that's difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. Well, and I think that's, that might be why this season is 
so delightful is that you essentially have four people trying to figure things out. I think Kahani is kind of in her own little element, but like when Chidi's giving the lessons to Eleanor and Jason, just like the idea of like, okay, well, what, what would be a good thing to do that wouldn't jeopardize my place here? Or like, what's like just exploring different options for their existence without trying to sabotage themselves. You know, like, I just think it's a very practical, even though they're not in real life, they're in a made up neighborhood and, you know, nothing, but the idea watching people go through the mental steps of how do I exist? I don't know. I it just really spoke to me. Yeah. I wanted to say before we get too removed from these ethics and morality lessons, I thought it was interesting. Like I mentioned before, I wish we'd had like a little bit more than like the heavy Kant emphasis. Yeah. Um, cause like, cause I took a bioethics class at BYU, which was, fa- it was one of my favorite classes and it went over it sounds interesting. lots of these different like philosophies and angles and perspectives. And so I, I feel like they could have done that. And I feel like they didn't give enough time. Like if they wanted to do that, they could have like dug deeper into the nitty gritty of like applying that. But the other part of me was like, they're already dead and the decision has already been made. And so a lot of these like trying to t- philosophy tie-ins, like I get why she's trying to become a better person, but part of me was like, like they're already all dead <laughs> and like What's the decision has been made. And so like, hmm. Part of me was eternal like, progression. Yeah. And so, you know, be- because of the system that they were in that we didn't know about at the time, a lot of that didn't land as well for me because it's like, well, they're, they don't even know that that's going to pay off because that's yeah. just kind of, I-, I thought it was original for sure, but the, that those parts didn't always land for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's, it's Eleanor's like, if I'm going to be here, like, I've got to try and earn it. Like, yeah. So that when I'm figured out, like, hopefully I can prove that, no, I, yeah. like, I become better. And in order to get there, she's starting from, like, ground from zero. Scratch, yeah. yeah. Of, like, of not knowing anything about ethics. It's also a selfish pursuit, you know? Like, that's why I love, like, it's still that paradox, like, where it's like, okay, she right. wants to become a better person for her own benefit. And, like, just understanding that both those things can be happening at the same time. And, and that's something, again, I've had to come to terms with that. It's like, I do like volunteering because it does make me feel better and that's okay. It's also good for the organizations I'm volunteering at. Like, yeah, I'm going to accept Win-win. that both of those things happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. They, they kind of address that in the show because she starts, and this is like after, you know, it is known that she's not supposed to be there, but they're like trying mm-hmm. to like justify her staying there. And so, you know, she's doing all of these good things for other people, but her, her score isn't changing, right? Mm -hmm. It's staying the same. And they're like, how come I'm doing all these good things, but I'm not getting more points. And then it's because her motivations were not pure. Mm -hmm. And so then later on in the show, like, like somebody has to leave the good place. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they look down at the little tracker and all of a sudden Eleanor has like tons and tons of like positive points. And it's because she decided to she she decided that she was going to be the one to leave or like she she wasn't doing it for herself anymore. Right. right she was yeah. doing it for the good of the yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. So I'm curious because, Nick, you said earn. So Eleanor's trying to earn it. If you were to pull, a, you know, members of the church and ask, like, if heaven is something you can earn or, you know, uh, eternal life, something you can earn. And what do you think the responses would be? Because yeah, 
that's really like now you've just got me thinking because you know grace by grace you're saved after all you can do so it's like you earn the grace of christ I, I don't know. I'm just trying to well, I think make that connection. Mindy St. Clair is interesting. She's the one who's in the medium place. And like, she had this like selfish life doing tons of cocaine, like There's making so all this money. Cocaine. And then, but her like last act before dying was basically, she figured out this like charitable organization that's going to actually make a huge impact. And she gives all this money to him. And, and so it's like all of her points balanced out and she was neutral and they didn't know what to do with her. <laughs> And so she ended up in the medium place, which I love all the jokes about like how the medium place is not very good, but not very bad. It's just yeah. so bland and like medium and, but, but yeah, I feel like that sort of like a lot of Christianity, I feel like says if you lived a whole life of being the worst person, but in your last moments, you accept Jesus as your savior and die, you're good. Like you've, you've made it. And I feel like that medium place is sort of a take on that. And I think that most Mormons wouldn't necessarily agree that that's how it works. Mm-hmm. That like, if you, I guess the equivalent maybe in Mormonism would be like you were baptized and your sins were washed right away. before you, you died, got yeah. hit by a car coming out of the church and died after being baptized. I guess that would be the equivalent is that like, you know, but I baptized people as a missionary that their hearts weren't changed. Like the next day, yeah. They, you know, they weren't very much different. And so to me, it's the difference in like, I think a lot of Christianity looks at it as an internal thing. Has your heart changed? Have you accepted? And they would say, well, if someone accepted Jesus, but then the next day was doing all the bad things they used to do, they'd say, well, it wasn't sincere. So it doesn't matter. Like it it wasn't real. And so I think, you know, this conversation about like intentions, I think is important about like how we use our morality. I just think that we have a hard time gauging that in the church. And so I think that there is an element, I think most to answer your question, because I'm going about it in a roundabout way is I think most, most believing Mormons would say, no, like you can't earn it. It's because of the atonement, but how do we act access the atonement? It's through all the things we do. Oh, okay. That's a, that is exactly how they would answer. There's that phrase in Mormonism, like working out your own salvation, right? Yeah. Like, like you've heard that. But then also, like I said earlier in the episode, even if you do everything, you still have to have Christ, you know, who justifies mm-hmm. you and, and brings you back. Yeah, like you can't get there yourself. And right? so I, that would be a really interesting poll to conduct. And, and I think that like the true answer is that that's reducing it way too much is more complicated than that. Yeah, that's interesting. You guys see it as because like my reaction when you ask that question is like, I think any believing member would say, yeah, you can earn your way into heaven. Like that's what we're doing all day every day but well and is like we're talking about motivation and the reasons for doing things and how Eleanor's points shot up because she started doing things for the right reasons so is is being with your family forever the right reason to do things hmm. the, the ultimate the ultimate like, prize at the end in mormonism is well yeah. and and is it i mean it doesn't seem like it should be wrong or not a good motivation to want that to like want eternal life but kind of what we were talking about earlier where well i want the spirit with me because the spirit feels good and i like feeling good or here's why i do things so i just wonder if if that's the reason we're doing this is that a tahani reason or 
Well, I mean, there's the other side of it where I'm sure you guys have seen the memes and the tweets where it's like, if the threat of eternal damnation is the only thing keeping you from not like robbing a bank or being a rapist or doing whatever, it's like, you're not actually a good person. So like the idea of hell and the idea, you know, there's certain brand of Mormonism that's very like fire and brimstone and like, I believe and do these things because I'm trying to avoid being punished later. Is that a good reason either just that that's your motivation is just avoiding some fiction of mm-hmm. hell which is sort of what's motivating eleanor for most of this right season, yes is i don't want to go to the bad place yeah is, doesn't michael like play uh, the audio of like this is what the bad the bad place sounds like right now yeah yeah <laughs> um which i thought was a great you know because you don't know when you're watching the show i think i thought that was really good because you're watching it and you're like, well, if this is what the good place looks like, this isn't what I've ever been taught about heaven. So I don't know what hell looks like here. And so I thought that was a great way to very succinctly explain, no, the bad place is really bad. Um, mm-hmm. And so that you do feel like there are some stakes here because Chidi, I think, is even the one that he's like, well, who knows? The bad place maybe is fine. Well, and I feel like there's a couple things just that I'm thinking about. One thing, since I watched this first season, like the first time as a believing member, loved the idea that there were three places and saw that comparison (laughs) to like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's like the three kingdoms. Like we've got the bad place and then the medium place and then the good place. And was like, Mike Scherz inspired (laughs) in order to come up with this. But I think that like, that's just a logical, yeah, sort of what you were going, talking about earlier, Kyle, of like, I think sometimes the church makes everything so black and white, but even like our, you know, as a believing member, our understanding of like the afterlife has multiple degrees of like where you end up. And so it can't be black and white because there's not an either or it's a spectrum. And and that's one of the things that like this show is presenting is that I think, because it's in the first episode, I think where Eleanor saying like the system sucks. What, one yes. in a million gets to live in paradise and everyone else is tortured for eternity. Come on. I mean, I wasn't freaking Gandhi, but I was okay. I was a medium person. I should get to spend eternity in a medium place like Cincinnati. Everyone who wasn't <laughs> perfect, but wasn't terrible should get to spend eternity in Cincinnati. That um, is one of the best lines in the show, in my opinion. Which I think sums up the idea of the show is that like, she's rebelling at the very beginning against this idea that like, you're either good or bad. Mm-hmm. And, and as the show continues to progress, I think we understand how true that is, like how right Eleanor was at the beginning. But even by the end of this first season, understand that this is a lot more complicated than just a good or bad. Mm-hmm. And I love that this show really grapples with the idea of the gray and like the spectrum of good and bad and everything in between. And and, and we get into it more in later episodes and I'm really looking forward to discussing them, but like the idea of the point system and what does it mean? I, I mean, I do think this is kind of like relative to where you are like buying your wife flowers is that a good thing if the flowers come from somewhere that's on slave labor or you know things like that just the idea of what we say is good is it really an understanding that there is no absolute answer yeah which is sort of cheaty's whole thing is that like the reason why he's you know has paralysis at deciding so many Mm -hmm. things is because he see he thinks not just about the immediate decision but he sees all the things that led to that decision, like you know, in a modern world, like you can't make a good decision because of all all the ripples that have yeah. become part of it. And 
as opposed to Jason, who's like only thinks in the immediate and like only wants what will make him happy right now. And and he's like a goldfish. None of these are good. Like Eleanor is not, Eleanor alone is not good enough. And Jason alone is not good enough. And Chidi alone, you know, and that's why putting them all together is just the perfect mix of like all of them torturing each other because they're such opposites. That that reminds me of one of Eleanor's throwback scenes that I love the most is like her boyfriend. She has a boyfriend and he's like, oh, like that coffee shop owner, like sexually harassed an employee. Like it's on camera. And he shows like she shows like such a clear example of like, this is a horrible person. And then she's like, eh, I don't want to. And she comes back and she's like, you can't always make good choices. And so I think it's so funny because you have Chidi who's thinking of all the options. And then you have Eleanor who has a clear look, let's not frequent this business. And she does it. And I think that just explains a lot of the modern conundrum. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a great throwback. I was also thinking throughout this whole season, this is a very, very inefficient system for the bad place. (laughs) You've got 50 plus demons assigned to just these four people (laughs) and like all of the work and effort that it took to like plan this place wouldn't it just be a lot easier to like throw them in a volcano (laughs) i think i think this is why um michael has his uh such high stakes got a lot of a lot of capital invested from the bad place i know they they sort of end the season with that idea like the judge who's come and then Mm -hmm. we end up finding out he's actually from the bad place he's not a good place judge but that he sort of is voicing that to michael i you know didn't think this would work sort of is what he's saying that like this is a revolutionary system that he's attempting by doing this neighborhood and yeah it it definitely seems like a lot of work and i think you know we sort of explore that idea in the later seasons of why this is inefficient i think but but i that sort of leads into the question i wanted to ask of i love the presentation of this as the afterlife like this neighborhood the good place like when it's first presented i totally it's not at all what traditional sort of Western media would present heaven in like. Right. Not no clouds, no one with a harp or wings or anything. We're not wearing white robes. <laughs> right. There's porn. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Janet. Janet's great. Yeah. Yeah. We have to talk about Janet. But yeah, I think that one of the things that I feel like I heard a lot in Mormonism, tell me if you guys did or didn't, was that the way the the eventual three degrees of glory and like where you get sorted at the end of it all will be where you are the most comfortable. And so like, you're not going to want to be in the celestial kingdom if you're not celestial kingdom material for like lack of better phrase that like that you're not going to be comfortable there. And someone in the opposite, you know, the opposite side isn't going to want to be in a lower kingdom because they wouldn't be comfortable there. And I definitely feel like, Oh, that is so true because little things like, Oh, this believing member won't even watch an R-rated movie. Like I would, I love, I don't want to hang out with R-rated movies. Like I don't want to hang out. Yeah. And, and so, and I feel like that is a lot of what's being presented here is that like Eleanor isn't necessarily comfortable here when she's thinking all these people are good place people. And that like, she's the, the trash bag from Arizona that like doesn't fit in with them. And I feel like that speaks a lot to just sort of life you know, that I think where we're, where we're most comfortable is, you know, says a lot about us for good or bad, I guess. Well, and when you said earlier, you said the spectrum and how, you know, three degrees and within those degrees, there's degrees. It made me think of that 
what you just said about like, we'll be, we'll end up wherever the most comfortable, but it also made me think of when Jesus said in my father's house, there are many mansions and I prepare a place for you. And to me, it's like, we're all going to be comfortable in in different places. I don't think any Mm -hmm. two people, I mean, it's possible that no two people will have the same amount of comfort in any given place. And when he says, I'll prepare a place for you, it's like, this is your unique place for your experiences, your biology, your brain chemistry, all that stuff. And the spectrum might be even more, there might be even more gradations in there than we even, you know, we oversimplify it like Mm -hmm. one, two, three, but like within one, two, and three, it's like, we're all so different, you know, as humans. And I, I'm struggling right now with believing that like, you can just take a group of people and put them in one place. And they're all just, like you said, are going to feel the same things and be happy there and just get along like old chums. Yeah. You know? That's called a ward and they all work <laughs> so perfect. They, they love it. They love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause I really resonated with the idea of like, you've come to the good place, but you have your own house that's specifically designed for you. And of course, in the first season, we come to find out it was, it was designed specifically to annoy Eleanor because it's full of clown paintings and <laughs> all that stuff. But, and, you know, she's presented it as this is what the real Eleanor loved was this is the decor that was perfect for her. But, but yeah, I mean, definitely not my version of heaven. And like right next door to, to, <laughs> to this giant mansion. mansion yeah. <laughs> I love how she keeps calling it out. But speaking of like custom houses made for you, it does remind me of, I know that the Mormon church has kind of stepped away from this theology, but did you guys, the whole thing of you get your own planet, if you make it to the top tier of the celestial kingdom, Mm -hmm. were you guys taught this? Oh yeah. So I wasn't like taught it word for word, like your own planet. I was taught like you will become as God. And so to me, like you getting your own planet, that's like small potatoes. Oh, you get universes. Yeah. Worlds on, you know, worlds without end, you know, that was... Well, we definitely interpreted it in my ward and with people my age, like we talked about it as planets and like we would talk about what would be on our planet. This is when Cafe Rio took over Utah and we'd be like, my planet's going to have a Cafe Rio. So like, it's funny, Nick, that you mentioned like that the good place doesn't have depictions of heaven that Western media comes from. And I think teenage me was actually creating something that looked like Michael's neighborhood, where it's like, well, this is where I want to hang out, like frozen yogurt, we got pizza shops, we got a cafeteria. So it's just funny to think about when you are imagining things like, yes, we have this macro view of like a heaven with clouds and white robes and everything. But mm-hmm. when we were actually talking about it, we got mm-hmm. a lot more. Green big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Cafe Rio. Yeah, <laughs> sky's the limit. She knows how limited <laughs> my teenage mind was. Which is basically like Jason. He has his little man man cave in this mansion. And like, yeah, we haven't talked about Janet much, but Janet's basically like the Siri of mm-hmm. this this neighborhood and can produce anything anyone asks for. And Jason just has like this man cave where everything is Jacksonville Jaguars and like he plays video games and like and that's his idea of like comfort and heaven. It's called yeah. his butthole. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> let me show you let me show you my butthole. <laughs> but I think going back to like what you'd be comfortable in, like I think that is one, you know, in the few times I would have moments of like, oh, what if it's all true? Or like I've made a bad choice leaving the church. 
really want to be in the celestial kingdom anyway. So I'm doing everything. <laughs> like, I don't really <laughs> want to hang out there. So it is funny to think I don't enjoy the thing. Like your R-rated movie example is perfect. Like you want to discuss yeah. things that are interesting and fun to me for eternity. If, if that was a thing. Right. Well, and I feel like that too, where as a believing member, it was the, the question wasn't, do you want to be in the celestial kingdom or not? It's you want to be there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what do you need to do to get there? And now I'm presented more like, even if I'm wrong and like the Mormon church is right. And and I come to find out at judgment day, like, oh, dang, I got that all wrong. <laughs> I I think even now would still be like, but I still don't want to be in the celestial kingdom. No. <laughs> That's not something that sounds interesting to me anymore. Totally. For, you know, more reasons than we could really talk through in this podcast. But yes. And and I think that that's sort of the idea that really appealed, uh, definitely appeals to me now in watching The Good Place is just this idea of, you know, it's about who we are as people and what we want. And that's an individual thing. And, and I think this show in the first season, we're really only like very surface level getting into that idea. And I love as the show continues to go, you know, we really explore what that idea looks like of it being very individualized and and yeah if that's what it is in the afterlife i'm all for it this is reminding me of a depiction of mormon hell from the musical the book of mormon musical has anybody here i know the music but i haven't seen it okay so there's the main character has a spooky mormon hell dream um Mm -hmm. you know he he breaks rule 72 in the you know the little white handbook and because of that he he has a dream where he's sent to the spooky Mormon hell. And that that one little mistake, he's down there with like, you know, all these murderers and serial killers. And, you know, there's giant Starbucks coffee cups dancing around and all the flames. And, you know, that <laughs> uh, cracks me up. Well, just to gush about the show real quick, because I haven't really said the things that I love. But one one thing that I'll just never forget is swearing in the oh, good place. Oh, so. yeah. You know, for such a clever way to get around network standards. Yeah. Like they can't, you know, it's not a cable show, so they can't say those words. Yeah. So clever. But to use, but to use fork and shirt, you've just, you've never (laughs) heard those as swear replacements. It's so become part of now. I see people (laughs) like on tweets and stuff, which I think Mm -hmm. it's so great. It's so great. Very Utah, though, to find. Maybe that's why I've seen it online more <laughs> i will say the mormons have really picked up on that piece. yeah but i'll take fork over freak any day mm-hmm. <laughs> but let's talk about janet for a minute i i think she really shines in other seasons so we'll get to talk about her more but like i will say this is the thing to me that in if we're gonna dream up what heaven looks like janet and the idea that like <laughs> it's like an internet in person but can like give you things that i don't know i just thought she yeah. was I was like, you know what? In my planet, in my Mormon planet, there would be a Janet. Yeah. I think she's a really great depiction of like, hey, if we're able to think of anything, let's have this. And she's dressed very Mormon, I feel. I don't know if y'all got that, but <laughs> she could be, she her vibe like young women's reminds, leader, right? It reminds me of Under the Banner of Heaven era, like her outfits and things. Remember uh-huh. in the first few scenes of Under the Banner of Heaven, all those outfits of that era of Utah. That's mm-hmm. what Janet looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I love the scene where they are killing her. Mm-hmm. Reset. <laughs> <You're>, yeah. <laughs> but just that whole like 
That was in the first season, right? Yeah. Yes. It was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just making sure. And the closer you got to the button that was going to kill her, like right. she it, had a, she has this defense mechanism, this sort programming. Of yeah. Again, I won't feel anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that whole back and forth is hilarious. Because doesn't she pull out like a picture of like a yeah. kid, and it's like <laughs> they they won't have a mom, and like yeah, and yeah, it's just all programming mm-hmm. to get dissuade you. Yeah. Yes. And then there was an episode where everyone is thinking, well, if they mess this up, we're not really soul. So who is my soulmate? And so they're all like, you know, going through all mm-hmm. the combinations, like may- maybe. And Jason, Jason decides Janet is this. Yeah. Yeah. That was during that episode as well. So, <laughs> Which I love. I mean, Jason Mendoza is one of the best characters ever created, I think. But... Mm-hmm. I am excited to talk about him in future seasons because some of my absolute favorite moments yeah. of this tv show come from him mm-hmm. uh kyle were there any other favorite things that you wanted to touch yeah on that... y- you sounded like you were going to give a list and then you just i uh, just gave one yeah i want to hear more from kyle <laughs> so i was i didn't rewatch, guys i'm just going purely off of memory from way back when you have more knowledge than half of us because you've read the book yeah that's true i think the well it's true that i read the book it's not true that i have more knowledge but <laughs> I didn't Nick don't you remember that his kind of the epiphany for the show came when he was in line at like a coffee shop like he was buying a coffee and he was like feeling some sort of social pressure to tip or something like that is that yeah that thinking sounds... of the right story and then he's like I'm going to structure an entire show around this wow I wish I could get something that constructive out of being mad <laughs> about know. the instant tip machines everywhere now yeah, I can't remember quite what the circumstance was. I'll look it up for next time. But yeah, I I think the podcaster that I listen to, he he like ranks comedy based on the laughs per minute. And this show is just very high in the laughs per minute, like just a dense, you know, consistent mm-hmm. rolling of laughter and jokes. And I, I think in season one, especially things land. I think in later seasons, I was kind of more like eh, uh, in, in a few places, but season one was just dense with laughter and jokes. And, you know, it was very consistently landing for me anyway. Well, and just um, the little quips always where it's like, they'll talk about someone from the good place or the bad place. And they just constantly, they'll never just say that. They always add a layer of, you know, they're saying like, this is sponsored by otters holding hands. And like the fact that, you know, <laughs> otters just make you so happy. And you're like, okay, yes. Like, just they're always adding another level to make the feeling or, or what they're saying come across. And it's just so clever what they've decided to put into the show. Like just, I imagine being in that writer's room and I would just, I would be high. Like it would just be so amazing to just be able to riff and come up with the jokes and little, little tiny pieces. Like even just making that list of points for the good place and points for the bad place. Like so fun. Yeah, if you look up um, a lot of the writers, like on their social media, while they were writing the show and sort of sharing behind the scenes things. Yeah, they just had like, created a whole document of like all the puns they could think of for Mm. shop names. And, you know, especially as the show goes on, and they continue to reset the neighborhood into different versions in season two and on, they just, you know, had a long list of really funny things to pull from. And yeah probably a really fun room to work in, especially because like anything's possible in the show. Like, like they mm-hmm. had not very many 
guardrails as far as like what they could come up Seriously. with scenarios. One of the things I picked up on on this watch is so when, when Eleanor dies in real life, she's, you know, at the grocery store buying some margarita mix. Sad girl, and... single, <laughs> single girl margarita mix. Well, if you look at the brand of the margarita mix, it's called basurero, which in Spanish means like trash can or trash person. And like we talked about her being like a trashy person, you know, and so yeah. it's the basurero brand of the margarita mix. <laughs> Crack me up. Oh, attention to details. Okay. <laughs> No, but I'm excited to talk about the other seasons. This is, I think, this is a good start. Yeah, I'll be rewatching. Yeah, I think Kyle's feeling Kyle's feeling some FOMO. Yeah, a bit. Okay, I think to end the, I know we've talked about a lot. I just, I think the final thing we need to talk through is the twist at the end where Eleanor finally realizes, wait, this is the bad place, because obviously, in my first watch through, like, I had no connection to making this about Mormonism. But in rewatching it since that moment where she's like realizing this place I was, I thought was the good place. I was told it was the good place, but everything in here is like perfectly (laughs) structured to make me feel miserable. And like, I can't stand it. Oh, it's the bad place. Like that was a feeling I had like in a moment in like deconstructing the church and leaving. It's like finally feeling like, oh, I think the church is the bad place for me. Not to say that it is bad in a mm-hmm. definitive way or bad for everyone, yeah. but yeah, it definitely felt like that moment of like, oh no, like because of what I've learned and now I'm finally able to deal with it in a way that I can recognize this isn't the right place for me. That moment of her realizing it's the bad place has just resonated with me more and more over the years after watching it the first time. Just curious what else or what what you all thought of that. I didn't make that connection, but I see it. Yeah. I relate to that. I think because it's interesting because you, Nick, as we've learned about your, you know, story, you left in a much quicker, it's a, it's almost like you did have a moment. And for me, it was a journey of five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a realization. And for me, it's more about the freedom to just say, this is the bad place for me. And being able to then set boundaries and like live my life in a way where it's like, instead of trying to convince myself I'm in the good place or I want to be in the good place or whatever. It's like, no, I don't operate in that reality. I'm going to operate how I see fit. And I think I've mentioned it in across several topics, just this episode, just the freedom to think outside of that good place box. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was definitely like, like we've been talking about on the show where now when I go back, like in rewatching the show, you realize, oh, it was so obvious this whole time mm-hmm. what's really going on. I feel like I look back on a lot of things and realize, oh, like, why did I not catch these mm-hmm. things? Yeah. And and like I was, you know, my testimony or whatever made me blind to some of these things that were problematic or not, you know, weren't good. And until and so when I had like the, oh, maybe this is the bad place realization. I could look back and realize, oh, I reckon I was picking up on it for a lot longer yeah. than I realized. And it wasn't maybe as much of it in the moment. It was just that a lot of things clicked really quickly for me. So yeah. that it was sort of like, oh, now I can actually like confront it. Like I'm well, giving myself permission to ask the question, is the church true? Is this the good place? And ask it in a genuine way where the answer can be either thing. You're not asking it with a predetermined solution. Right. And that's where I struggle now, where I try to, 
give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm in mixed faith marriage, but it's hard when you see people defend the church over the recent SEC fine, for example, and, and learning that the church has billions of dollars and isn't acting like other nonprofits would. Seeing people try to make that fit into a good place box where it's like, you can say that that isn't how you would want a church to operate or that you don't think that that's good place behavior. Um, mm-hmm. And and that to me is where I do still have a hard time with Mormonism is when I see people still trying to be episodes one through 12 of this season and make it all work and do everything instead of just acknowledging that maybe that's not the right behavior for an organization professing to be the church. Right. Um, you know, doing Jesus's work on earth. Yeah, sort of like what you were saying, Dan, where like Chidi has decided this is the system. And so now I've got to make that system work in my <laughs> brain. Yeah, I think a lot of people get caught in the Chidi position of this is what I think is right. And now I've got to defend it or figure out how to make it work. And and you end up doing most of the work of the organization for them. This is where I get really frustrated is it's like, okay, we've learned that an organization has $100 billion. You don't need to be out there defending them like you and then the church never has to say anything because you have members that just draw the dots you know connect the dots and make the arguments for them without them ever having to make public statements to defend themselves um and so like for chidi it is interesting that eleanor is the one at the end in episode 13 who's like hold up like she's the one that draws the conclusions she's the one that's the most you know she she's comfortable stating things instead of drawing, you know, being cheaty with analysis paralysis, just saying like, hey, this is not right. Something about this is messed up instead of forcing herself to adapt to the world Michael has built. Oh, also interesting Mormon connection that the god of the neighborhood is named Michael. Mm. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. Very angelic name, I think. It's also the name of the creator of the show, Mike Sure. Oh. Like I think it's fun that the creator of the show is named Mike and Name, you know, made the creator of this neighborhood and world of the show. Also, Michael, like, yeah, there's just a fun little tip of the hat to himself there. (laughs) We definitely in future seasons, we got to talk about Ted, Ted Danson. That is. Uh Yeah, he's great. Perfect. He shines more, even more in later ones, but I'm excited to dig dig into his character. Well, it's really fun because like only Ted Danson and Kristen Bell knew from the beginning that it was really a bad place. Yeah, there's a fun video that they took like before they filmed the final episode where that twist became, you know, like before they gave them the scripts and and everything. Okay, Mike sure pitched them. Here's the finale. And so he pitched it to, you know, the actors playing Tahani and uh, Chidi and Jason. And so they recorded it and you could see live their reaction to like Kristen, you know, Eleanor says like, this is the bad place. And they're like, what <laughs> so like, it's like, i feel better when it's like oh the actors who were on the show didn't they were even there catch, every day <laughs> like that they were also setting up that this is the bad place and and i think a lot of that is like because of ted danson like ted danson's acting says yeah. that he's this is his like he's an amateur this is his first neighborhood mm-hmm. and like the reason why it's all going so bad is just because like he's a little in over his head and they do a really i mean he plays that fine line where like you can go back and watch this whole season and read the bad place version of a lot of stuff and the good mm-hmm. place version. Like yes. he plays both of them at the same time. I mean, just really, really well acted. Well, and I think we'll see 
so yeah just seeing how it's like okay yes he's the architect and like he is at this point a demon essentially and like but he still has his own personality that we see more um yeah in future seasons as well he's great excellent actor which if you have i mean i think like when this show came out i mean ted danson had had multiple shows where he was the lead of you know different genres and obviously cheers was a huge sitcom where he was the lead and and was like really like mike sure has talked about that being like his sitcom growing up like he loved cheers oh, okay and so like getting ted danson to be in the show was like a little dr- lifelong huge. dream come true oh and and but i think a lot of people like maybe came to the good place and like were introduced to ted danson through this show like there's a lot of great acting of his to go back and look at and just been in a lot of great tv love it this has been great guys yeah let's uh let's wrap it up that was a good conversation so we're gonna do this for all the seasons so stay tuned yeah um i don't know if it's gonna be like sequential we might have other episodes thrown in in between we haven't planned that out yet but we will for sure get to the rest of the season but yeah look forward to season two three and four coming up can't wait thanks for letting us join all right thanks jenny thanks kyle and we'll see y'all later all right bye bye Post Mormon at the Movies is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us for regular updates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can download episodes as they become available. Thank you for listening, and we will see you at the movies next time. Bye.